Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. We're slowing it down, but we're not stopping. And, and so that's the next goal is somehow arrest the progression. Today, Dr. Tuan Vu, a neurologist from the University of South Florida, joins the podcast to discuss ALS and other topics in neurology in this edition of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. I'm your host, Senior Vice President and Medical Director, Dr. Tim Wright, and joining me on the podcast is Dr. Tuan Vu. Dr. Vu is a professor in the Department of Neurology and the Director of the Neuromuscular Division, ALS Clinic, and EMG Laboratory at the University of South Florida Health Center in Tampa, Florida. Dr. Vu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I think that we had a conversation prior to the podcast about your practice setting, but could you share your practice setting and what you do day in and day out? So I'm a um, uh, faculty member of uh, USF Department of Neurology, and uh, I run the neuromuscular division and the ALS clinic here. And um, so I, I split my time about 50-50. 50% of the time I do uh, clinical care, and then the other 50% of the time I do administration and research. Very good. And I'm always curious as to someone else's journey through medicine. Can you sort of take us through when did you d- decide or even think about going into medicine and, and how you went about it? So I grew up in Vietnam and I came here when I was I was 14. Um, you know, grow, uh, growing up in the war, you have different plants. Uh, everybody got drafted. And, and uh, uh, so, you know, being a soldier, probably the, the future was a future. Um, but once I get here, that that all changed. And... Um, um, of all the things that I consider, I think medicine fit what I want to do with my life and and my personality. So um, that that you know interest developed uh, over time. And uh, so when I went to college, <clears throat> I uh, came in as a pre med, and and thankfully I was given an opportunity to go to med school. And uh, the rest, I guess, is history. <laughs> now. Um... As someone who chose my residency because I, I I thought that I wanted the excitement of emergency medicine, can you share me, to, with me why neurology? Well, serendipity. <laughs> so <laughs> um, uh, at Penn State, we um, have to do a research project before we graduate. And um, so during the summer between my first and second year, I happened to be in a neuroscience lab. And... Uh, uh, with Jeff, Jeff Hamill, um, who was a assistant professor at the time, and um, he did a lot of work on on uh, the rat interpeduncular nucleus, and so that's how I got my feet wet, so to speak, and that's uh, blossomed into a, a real interest in research. Uh, so, <clears throat> so much so that I took a year off between my second and third year to do um, research at the National Institute on Drug Abuse, and then um, during um, residency, um, I sort of keep that alive. And, and after uh, graduation from residency, I spent the next couple of years doing research in mitochondrial uh, myopathies. Um, and then, you know, um, that pretty much evolved over time to, to include other uh, aspects of uh, neuromuscular diseases. And so currently, I'm, I'm um, concentrating a lot on machine gravis and ALS. But I also do other things as well. Wow. And and so for, I think that ALS has been, you know, in sort of the forefront, I think, since some 
you know, the, the ice water challenge and so forth. But I think that a lot of folks, and me included, obviously we answered board questions on ALS and, you know, we all know it as sort of Lou Gehrig's disease, but sort of, can you share a little bit for just general medical audience? Um, how does a patient with ALS usually present to you or maybe to a general practitioner? And what are things that we should be thinking about if we are seeing patients day in and day out? Um, I think, you know, because of where I am, I don't see the patients um, until they, they're fairly late in the disease and have uh, uh, other symptoms and have enough of workup that that everything else been excluded. So the typical story is, is you know, somebody have a painless uh, weakness and it could be just uh, a foot drop or um, an inability to uh, turn the lock, uh, turn the keys or, or open the doors. and you know, most people would think about the common things that that um, lead to this uh, condition. <clears throat> so, usually, a, a spinal problem, for example, or uh, some other issues. Uh, so, a stroke, or uh, so they work those things up. And often, the patient undergo a whole bunch of procedures, including neck surgery and so on, so forth, before they realize that's not helping. And then that's when they start thinking about other things. But um, I think that that um, if you see somebody who is having, you know, progressive painless weakness um, associated with atrophy and, and muscle twitching and cramps and that sort of thing, um, think AOS. Or if somebody has slower speech um, that keep on progressing, there's, there's not much else that does that. Um, and so, you know, obviously, by the time they um, have symptoms, there has been a substantial loss of motor neurons. So you're dealing with maybe 50 or less uh, percent of, of uh, motor neurons left. So you're late in the game already. And if you delay that any further, um, by the time that they uh, get whatever treatment we have, we're dealing with a very small uh, number of uh, surviving motor neurons, and and at that point, you know, you're pretty much far behind the game, and and um, it's a stiff climb from that point. So, so it sounds like, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about your team approach because I noticed that you are the director of, of sort of the ALS clinic, and I noticed a lot of different specialties in there. But what I clearly hear you saying, and and this is true for so many things, is that the sooner you can get somebody in the process of the disease, the, the more there is to save. So can you go into a little bit about sort of your clinic and, and sort of your philosophy there? Because I noticed you have, you know, gastroenterologists, pulmonologists, physical therapists, things like that. Can you talk that, about that a little bit? I mean, you know, so as the disease progress, you, you have um, uh, more and more loss of, of, of function. So it could be uh, swallowing, uh, breathing, um, mobility, and that sort of thing. And so if you consolidate it into one facility in one time, the patient uh, doesn't have to make, you know, seven or eight appointments um, to navigate the, the, the um, healthcare system. Uh, so a lot of the benefit from the uh, multidiscipline clinic is coordination of care. Um, and also a lot of thing we, uh, things that the patient needs, like, um, uh, non-invasive ventilatory support and, and um, even a peg tube, that sort of thing. Um, they have to go through a lot of hoops to get there. And and uh, as you can imagine, you know, the family member having never 
having uh, never dealt with this before, having suddenly to figure out how to get things approved and and uh, provided. Um, we sort of do this on a routine basis, so we get them there faster and and you know certain the time of suffering and and so that's basically what we do. Um, we try to minimize suffering and and um, preserve um, function and dignity. Yeah, it sounds almost like the, the I've heard of this concept before, sort of the medical home that you know once instead of chasing around a bunch of different specialists and certainly mobility is an issue for these folks. If you can get everything there in one place, you know, the right hand, if you will, knows what the left hand is doing with these patients. Yeah, and and, and it certainly facilitates uh, communications between um, individual providers, which is a big issue right now, um, the healthcare in general. So I think I recently read something in the news because I my understanding is obviously going to come from someone who did not take a neurology residency, who did emergency medicine, but... For a long time, we didn't really have anything to offer these folks as a way of treatment. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, but something's come. I, I think I saw something um, recently come across one of the journals. Are there there are some treatments in development? Correct. Uh, there's several in development, and there are also uh, at least three that's been uh, approved. Um, so you know, back to to just non medical treatment uh, things like respiratory support um, really provide a lot of comfort um, and take away some of the uh, discomfort associated with air hunger from respiratory failure and that sort of thing. Um, maintaining a good weight and, and diet really um, uh, prolongs survival and, and also uh, lessen the burden. Um, allowing um, mobility and that sort of thing via uh, motorized wheelchair and so on also improve quality of life. Um, but, you know, in the last several years, we also have medications that seem to slow down progression and, and uh, prolong life modestly, but at least it's something uh, and, and certainly something that we didn't have before. And and so, and that must be, you know, uh, for someone who's treated a situation where, you know, a patient comes in you know, with a diagnosis and you have to say to them, like, we're going to do the everything we can, but we don't have everything. That must be very sort of, you know, gratifying to at least say we have a few things that we can sort of offer you here. Yeah. Um, but we always want more, right? <laughs> of course. You know, we, we, we can prolong your life by months. Uh, we would like to do that, you know, by years. And uh, we're slowing it down, but we're not stopping. And and so that's the next goal is somehow arrest the progression. Um, forget about reversing it at the moment. I, I'm I would be happy if I can tell somebody that I can arrest the disease. Yeah. No, I mean I, that sounds pretty amazing. And I think that if I read some of the papers correctly, that's what the the current medications that are being uh, looked at, investigated, are, are trying to do. Correct. Uh, yeah. To slow down. Um, hopefully, you know um more and more so over time so here's here's another hot topic out there is always ai and you know in some of the other areas that i've talked to experts on retinal disease and so forth they're they're sort of trying to use ai to help folks diagnose earlier um do you have you read anything or is there any role do you think about this ai in helping clinicians recognize you know als or other neurologic disorders I mean, you know, the um, I remember as as students and as uh, residents when you didn't know much, 
you know, you, you, you're wishing that if you put in a keyword into the computer, it'll spit out all the possible diagnoses. <laughs> you know, the, the concept has been around for a long time. And, and as student and residents, I, I uh, you know, often put in a list of symptoms and hopefully it'll come up with some diagnosis that uh, I would look good on, gra- on rounds. Um, that really never uh, was successful because everything is given equal weight. Um, I think if we ever come up with a system where they actually weight the different factors and what likely the diagnosis is, uh, we're going to certainly, you know, something like that would be extremely helpful, but I'm not sure how far or how fast that will come around. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think in some circumstances, it, it, to your point, and, and you know, I we have worked a little bit with AI. If you have no idea what's going on, or if you know you're in the neighborhood of what the diagnosis is, and you want a very specific um, differential, then that might be some help. I think. I think you know. Sometimes you you walk into a room, and you look at the patient, and you already know what it is, and you you think that your mind somehow take all the observation that you you know got and and put it together faster than your brain can can actually do it um and i'm not sure if, if ai ever get to that point where you know it, it uh taking the image of a patient and and notice you know the facial expression or the atrophy or whatever and say aha this is more likely than anything else um, but you know, at that point, if they can do that, they pretty much replace humans. So, yeah, well, I, I, I actually think that intuition and observation are something that's going to take a much longer time, um, for them to come up with. The other thing I wanted to ask is I did look at the, um, the different publications you have. And in this day and age, I think everyone wants to talk about medical marijuana. And I noticed that you were on a paper with medical marijuana and neurology, um, just in, in general, do you think there's a utility there? And if so, for which disorders? I think, you know, we we're hampered by the fact that for the longest time, we're not allowed to do any sort of, sort of research in, in um, anything that's sort of um, controlled, you know. Um, so a lot of my observation is based on what the patient reported. And so for uh, anxiety, for spasticity, uh, for sleep and for a certain type of pain, uh, I think it, it has a role because a lot of patients reported uh, benefit from it, and, and that's beyond you know possible placebo effect. Um, in terms of slowing of diseases, um, we just don't have any information. Um, although there are people out there who who certainly believe that that it, it makes them live longer, but we just don't have the data to support that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of those things where now that, you know, there is it, it and still this is difficult because it's legal locally, state in different states, but not federally. So, you know, how are you going to get a federal grant to to do the kind of study you want? Or or even for, for my situation, uh, I'm a state employee. So, you know, in terms of state kind of thing, I'm, I'm allowed to prescribe it, but then I run into the uh, federal law. Um, so as an institution, uh, we're not allowed to prescribe, uh, marijuana. And so every time that I need to do this, I have to send uh, the patient out to somebody out in the community. And I, you, you mentioned myasthenia gravis, which, um, again, is another disorder that I think, you know, all of us who went to medical school and maybe even whatever residency 
took a few board questions on. Um, but uh, it's, I think because more and more treatments are coming to the fore, I think it's sort of rising in the consciousness of medical professionals. Um, can you sort of take us through a little bit of the history of, you know, what we did or didn't have for myasthenia and how it's it's getting better? Yeah, so, um, uh, because it's, uh, I mean, the disease has been around for the longest time. Um, you know, in fact, uh, the first reported case was uh, of this Indian chief who uh, was, you know, support, uh, he, he was uh, up in a canal, was really a, a well-known warrior in his youth, but then in his uh, older age had to be helped um, uh, to walk. And and he has to prop open his lids and all that. And it's funny because um, one of the features of, of uh, MG is that if you rest, your symptoms get better. And there's the, um, the article um, in one of the early uh, papers in, in North America mentioned that he was captured by John Smith and was put in jail where he was able to rest and felt stronger. Um, so, um, and then the, the official medical description didn't come around until, uh, Tom Willis in, in the 1700s. And we know a lot about the condition, uh, at the beginning of the 1900s and believe it or not, you know, people start to do uh, thymectomy in the 1940s and 50s, but um, we didn't have much else besides uh, pyrostigmine um, until the uh, 60s and 70s, and then the um, immunosuppressants come into play, the steroids, and, and subsequently um, all the non-steroidal immunosuppressants. Um, these medication works reasonably well, but the problem is that the side effects are pretty severe and, and the uh, for the non-steroid immunosuppressant, you take months to, to years sometimes to, to see an effect. Um, so treatment is good, but but uh, treatment burden is also pretty high. And then uh, in the last, I would say about 2017 until now, uh, we have a lot of options where uh, it's more uh directed uh, to different points along the uh, immune pathways where we sort of eliminate some of the broad spectrum side effects. And and so, um, you know, the, certainly the treatment is getting uh, more directed and, and, and specific. Uh, that's great. And I mean, it, it seems like that if you look at some of the treatments that, and I always joke about this, you know, we're about the same age back in the old days it was you know, give somebody steroids and it either worked or it didn't and you're like wow <laughs> there must have it, it seems like it was daunting to be a physician back then what do you got well i got some steroids and i have uh some narcotics which one do you want so finally to to be respectful of your time we're going to wrap up here so where do you see sort of the new frontier in neurology if if you know, we're sort of where we are. And I, I heard your hopes for the folks who have ALS that you want to arrest the disease and, and maybe reverse it. But what are other areas um, in neurology uh, that, that you're working on? Do you have a lot of hope for or, or where do you see them going? Um, I think certainly a lot of the um, muscular dystrophies uh, due to genetic mutations. Uh, we're making pretty steady progress toward fixing that. Um, so that's certainly something that I'm looking forward to the future. Um, MG, we're getting more and more advanced in terms of, uh, you know, drilling down to different points along the 
uh, autoimmune pathways where we can actually intervene. Um, hopefully, with with less uh, disease uh, treatment burden and and uh, uh, less side effects. Um, AOS is going to be a long slog still, um, mainly because I don't think it's one disease, but it's multiple disease with the common pathway being AOS. So that's why we haven't been successful in terms of treating a cohort. Um, I think once we get down to the individual level where we know where the problem is and, and you know whether that true genetic testing or whatever, um, we will make uh, major headways. Yeah, that feels reminiscent a little bit of some of some of the um, leukemias, where for a yeah. long time we thought that they were all one disease, and then when we start teasing it out, it just sort of unfolds into wow, there's about fourteen of these. Yeah, no, I think I think that's is pretty much similar to that. Okay, um, disease like uh, peripheral neuropathy, for example, we have not made that much of a headway. We make a lot of headway with you know, the, the immune mediated ones like CIDP. But your your idiopathic axonal neuropathy was still, you know, back in the 1960s, pretty much. Um, so I don't know where we're going to go with that, but I'm hoping somewhere. Um, and then, you know, uh, certainly uh, many of the other, con other conditions in neuromuscular diseases, uh, we're slowly making progress. Um so it's actually pretty exciting. It, certainly for me, it, it has been a, a great um, uh, career so far, being able to participate in all these uh, research events and, and so on. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to continue doing that. And we're looking forward to um, the next time I read something that there's an advance in ALS, you are the first person that I'm going to contact. I'd like to thank you very much for your time, Dr. Vu. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And that's today's special spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing, Medical News Roundup, and just ask, what's my Flash Briefing? Thanks today to our guest, Dr. Tuan Vu, and to Norm Dian, and to Raul Garcia for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we'll cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.